Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. All right, back. we are back. Now we're back. Back for another episode of Peak Speak. Damn. Ho, 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 gentlemen. The holidays <laughs> came early here at Manscaped, <laughs> leading men's hygiene brand. Manscaped just launched new products, including their all new ultra premium body wash yeah. and a two in one shampoo and conditioner. It's time to give yourself or someone who needs it the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and balls this holiday season. Go to manscaped.com and use the code PeakSpeak for 20% off and free shipping. That's right. Jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up. Untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past and it's possible you have Santa's beard in your pants. It's time to leave your significant other some cookies and milk at the bottom of your chimney. I am talking about the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PEAKSPEAK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code PEAKSPEAK. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. So as you know, I have my Prism Coffee Co coffee on ice cream every morning because that's just the way that i am because you're a fucking 12 year old yeah well i mean like it's it's my alternative to milk and sugar because buy the right ice cream it actually works out at less calories so for the diet conscious man that myself is (laughs) do you know you know the funniest part of that have you actually done the maths on that yeah but do you know the funniest part of that statement this is a 900 gram packet of chips that I finished in three days. So <laughs> a very diet conscious man. Um, anyway, uh, I'm at, I'm working from home today. Um, I worked, I went to the Brisbane gym this morning. Now I'm working from home and uh, I've decided to have a coffee at whatever time it is now, three o'clock. And I'm not, I've already had my ice cream coffee. So I'm limiting myself to a black coffee. It's just not the same. I mean, yeah, not putting ice cream in coffee means it's probably going to be different from coffee that you haven't put ice cream in. Exactly. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. it's still good. It's great coffee, but I'm just it's so conditioned fantastic. to ultra sweet ice creamy coffee. <laughs> so, if you want to be like Thomas and get delicious coffee and then ruin it by putting ice cream in it, you can get it from the boys at Prism using the code PeakSpeak. Exactly. Get a sweet discount. They actually released their new, uh, instant coffee that's all like fully organic and apparently much better than their last batch so i'm excited to try that at some point too i you have this strange juxtaposition where sometimes you're like you know what coffee is one of these things you enjoy it how you want to enjoy it if you like to have it on ice cream have it if you want milk and sugar have it just enjoy it but then on the other hand if people don't drink it the way you do it's like fuck you what are you fucking 12 year old with this stupid ice cream i'm the same with the way with steak 
I'm like, enjoy steak so, however you want. You know, it's your steak. Then you watch people. Yeah, but build, if you cook it well done, you're a bad person. <laughs> well done steak and then ruin it with like fucking watty sugar-free tomato sauce or something like that. What are you doing? Stop. We went to um we went to this place in Canberra last weekend uh with my business partner and his partner, uh, called Meat and Wine Co. And they um they like obviously specialize in meat. Uh, and we had a fantastic dry age ribeye that was like a hundred and something dollars a kilo, but holy fuck, it was delicious. And uh, yeah, watching people order steak well done in that environment makes me want to kill them. I'm not a person that hates viscerally very often, but there are a few things that do it. Ruining a good piece of meat is one of them. So tell us about your tour to Canberra. Yeah, I, I've spent... 13 hours and like 10 minutes yesterday riding my bike uh for a while i've been planning to ride the centenary trail which is like a big mountain bike or mostly dirt uh trail that runs a big loop around canberra and sort of there's a an entry point to it about a kilometer from my house just up the end of my street um and so it was in total, I think it worked out 138 kilometers and something at like 2000 meters of climbing. Uh, the biggest ride I'd done before that was like 66 kilometers. So, um, you know, I'm a go big or go home kind of guy. Uh, I got on the bike at 6.30 and I got home at yeah quarter to eight or something like that. Um, it was a fucking long day, uh, but really good, a really interesting experience doing something that hard for that long. Like I just haven't, you know, even a long powerlifting mate that goes for 10 hours, it's not that fucking hard. Like you're only doing eight minutes of work in that 12 hours. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So yeah, basically just plodding along continually for nearly 13 hours. It was a a very interesting challenge. I learned a few lessons. I have no desire to do that again anytime soon. But I'm sure that also means that I'll find something equally as stupid to do at some point. But uh, yeah, it was a very interesting experience. How are you feeling <laughs> I today? Listened to, uh, a little bit sunburnt. I probably wasn't as diligent as I could have been with sunscreen. Um, a bit stiff. Not as sore as I thought I was going to be, though. I thought I would be completely crippled. And I was getting off the bike last night. Like, yeah, it was pretty sore then but um yeah today i feel surprisingly good like i don't feel good good is the wrong description for how i feel okay is probably a better description for how i feel but um yeah it was it was an interesting day eating a maxi bond halfway through was probably the biggest mistake i made (laughs) i stopped at a servo and was like i'll just get like a you know monster but like one of the flat ones that just has sugar in it as well Mm. it's like a bit of sugar a bit of caffeine maybe i'll eat an ice cream and then I ate this maxibon. It was great. Maxibons are great. And then about 20 minutes later, I was like, God damn it. That was just a fucking terrible decision. This <laughs> milky ice cream churned away in my guts for 45 <laughs> minutes. Um, so um, yeah, pro tip, don't eat a milky ice cream while you're in the middle <laughs> of some ultra endurance event. Yes. Uh, but yeah, a very, very different performance in terms of physical challenges from anything I've ever done. Mm. Uh, I don't think I'm going to become like the ultra marathon guy or anything like that. I don't think I enjoyed it that much, um, but I'm glad I did it. Mm. That's really cool, man. It was, yeah. Yeah. And, and like, 
know, it was, there was never a point of like, oh, this is so hard. I'm going to quit. Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm stubborn enough that by the time I'd made the decision to do it, I was just going to do it. It didn't really matter how long it took. I was, it was just always going to get done at some point. And so I jumped on it before it got too hot in Canberra and still fucking got sunburnt. So, mm. you know, it was a good time. Amazing. Love that. I've got nothing productive done today, though. My brain has been completely cactus all day. You seem tired. I am very tired. I slept like shit. That's the problem. Like I got yeah. all excited about how good I was going to sleep. And then just fucking every two hours I woke up like sore and thirsty. Yeah. And he's get yeah, that like so over trained sleep. You'll sleep amazing tonight. Yeah, I, I think I probably will sleep pretty well tonight. So we'll see. <laughs> well, one of our dedicated young listeners has suggested that we talk about the subject of deloads today. So we're going to talk about all things deload. Um, mm. I, th- I think probably the best place to start with this is like, wh- what is the reason for a deload? Like, what's, what's the actual purpose of doing a deload? Um, if I'm a client and I ask this to you, like, why are you making me do this shitty light week? What are you going to say? Uh, it depends on the circumstance. Cause in some cases having like a, a proactive versus a reactive deload is an important distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, because that then changes kind of what you're doing, right? Like if we're having a discussion about, Hey, we're going to have a light week because you're in the middle of your exam period and you've got six hours of sleep over the last three days. And we probably just need to back off the gym a little bit. That's a slightly different discussion than one where it's like, Hey, this is the end of this hard block. Here's the deload week before we start the next block. So in general, I, sort of describe it as an opportunity to reduce the overall training load in order to allow you to recover a little bit more than perhaps you would in a normal week. Uh, And then we get a little bit more precise about what we're trying to do, given the context of the situation. Mm. It's a very good way of dodging the question. Um, (laughs) uh, Ultimately what you're, what you're saying there. Um, and what I would say if someone said, you know, what's the purpose of a deload is just to keep the overall um, average training quality as high as possible. It's so easy. Um, training is very much like day-to-day energy uh, in regards to sleep. It's like if you only sleep five hours a night, very quickly you're going to adapt to feeling like shit. So you're going to say, I operate fine on five hours of sleep a night. It's like, no, you're just used to what feeling shit all the time feels like. Same thing happens with training. You know, you start training, you, um, before you know it, if you keep going, if you're not taking these deload moments when you need to, if you ignore them or you don't recognize them, uh, before you know it, you're knocking a rep off a set. You're dropping an RPE point down. You're taking a plate off the leg press. You don't even realize that it's happening. And then without realizing, you know, six months down the track, you're just doing exactly the same as what you were doing six months ago. And that's not how training should exist. Training should exist in an um, average over time of improvement in some way, shape, or form. But the purpose of taking deloads, whether they are reactive or proactive, is ultimately to keep the quality of training as high as possible. Um, in general, do you roll with proactive or reactive deloads? I'm both, really. Like I, I tend to have a fairly... Uh, fixed window in terms of like block length. And in some cases 
the like deload week, if that's what you want to call it, is actually more like an intro week to the next block. Mm. And so it is by design a little bit easier, a little bit lower volume than, than the week before. Um, in most cases, the clientele I see most regularly, you almost don't need to program proactive deloads that often because most of them live a busy enough life that the average quality stays about the same because they'll just be like a week where work is slamming them and they just only get two training sessions in. And so we say, Hey, do the first, you know, the main two exercises from days one and two and three and four, and then call it a week. And in that, in that case, that's, you know, your reactive deload, which is actually more just a result of you not being a professional athlete. And I think that's where certainly in the time that we've been coaching, there's been an, an overemphasis on the need for deloads in a lot of recreational lifters in a way that doesn't account for the context. Like if you put the numbers on paper and you're like, yep, cool, this is the peak of the volume this is where we're going to deload. And then you don't take into account the fact that this person only got three weeks of training in before they had to go away for a week and, you know, those sort of things. Then I think sometimes people rely too heavily on a deload. And that's when you have that uh, dissonance between what the athlete is expecting. Like they feel good. They don't feel like they need a deload because you haven't taken into account the fact that they haven't trained as hard as you thought they were going to or something like that. So yeah, I, I use a mix of both. Um, it really depends on the person. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought up um, your concept of the intro week and and, yeah. uh, and recognize that effectively it is the same thing as a deload because I feel like it's, it's less prominent right now, but there was definitely a time maybe a year or two ago when it became really cool to sort of brag about the fact that you don't do deloads. And a lot of people mm. were doing that, but deloading, but giving it just some other name. No, we don't yeah, do yeah. deloads. You're not doing a deload week, but we'll do a pivot week into your next block. Like, you're doing exactly the same fucking thing as a deload. You're like reducing the volume intensity. Guess what that is? Um, and a lot of people yeah. will do the same thing as you and um, do an intro week, uh, which is great. You know, like it, it's, you know, having having those transitional weeks that allow the lifter to decay for fatigue and come into the next uh, block of training ready and and pumped and, and willing uh, you know ready to drive the intensity at the level that it needs to be driven to create the adaptations that we're looking for is is, is spot on i think it's just important that um people don't uh people don't trick themselves into thinking that by changing the label that you're changing the purpose of of that yeah. lighter intensity intensity week yeah um, yeah it's one of those things that i think people get caught in the nuance of language around it. And again, if we go back to the first question about like, what are we trying to do with the deload, which is like you said, maintain the average quality of training over time. And to do that, we're reducing the load a little bit. We're maybe reducing the volume and doing those sort of things to allow you to just improve your recovery across that week. It doesn't really matter whether you call it a fucking deload or an intro week or a pivot. It's all going to be the same. It just might, you know, the, the choices you're making, being, hey, the exercise we're using this week are actually a continuation of the last block or vice versa. Um, yeah, it doesn't actually matter that much. <laughs> do you do you feel like there is a superior option out of reactive and proactive deloading? I think in most cases, I tend towards a proactive deload approach. 
in people who live a relatively predictable life. Uh, so the, you know, the vast majority of the clients I have are public servants or government workers of some description. So their lives are fairly predictable. There's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, un, un or unprepared travel or anything like that. Instead, we end up with like, hey, we can train really hard for these four weeks. We know this week four is going to be really hard and um, you should feel a little bit cooked so we can add that in. But then there are other people like I've got a couple of military people who, are, who go out to the field or have a week where they're doing a ton of testing or something like that. And that's where that reactive approach is much more useful. So I think I tend towards in, in general, a more proactive approach um, because it just kind of fits with how I program training blocks. Um, but yeah, in some cases, I think the reactive thing can be really, really useful. It does require a lot more management from a coaching standpoint, you know, like that's, that's the other thing I guess is that proactive deloads are a little bit easier from a coaching standpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it, I think it's really important that you said that because uh, it's all well and good to uh, swing towards the way of reactive deloads and e either method is going to be fine, proactive or reactive. It's just knowing how to drive that bus, you know. Um, and yeah. if, you are, if you are swinging towards a more reactive style in, in, in your programming style, you have to be hyper aware. If you're the coach or the lifter driving this, you have to be hyper aware of when the lifter or yourself is starting to show the signs of fatigue that would indicate that they need a, a reactive deload. And that's, that's actually a lot easier said than done um, because you have to have markers as to how you distinguish accumulated fatigue from just a bad day. And if you yeah. ignore those markers for too long, you run the risk of a few things. You run the risk of running into injury. I mean, like that's, that's, uh, it's impossible to predict. It's impossible to know whether someone will get hurt, but I mean, the risk increases. Uh, so you run into a higher injury risk, uh, but more so the, there's the psychology but behind having bad sessions probably racks up the quickest and is the hardest thing to decay. If someone has three bad squat sessions in a row or even two in a row, um, they'll ignore the 50 squat sessions that they had before that, that was successful and great. And really, 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 only think about the bad squat sessions that they had, then they create the self-fulfilling prophecy of I'm going to have a bad session, come in and create a bad session. So you have to be really quick to recognize when does this person need a deload and then act on it straight away. Um, for me personally, as a coach and, and what we do through zero, uh, I swing almost primarily in the um, proactive approach. I mean, there's always times where you might need to take a reactive deload, but the better your programming style gets, the less often that happens. Um, you create a little bit more predictability, but of course there's always external factors that lifters are going through that might impact their um, fatigue. Uh, but yeah, I've, I far prefer the idea of having a fixed length and knowing how much stuff I can put in there before someone needs a deload and being able to play with that as a buffer. Yeah, man. And that's exactly the approach I have with programming and the, and the sort of defined block length. I think, you know, I've looked in and done a lot of stuff reading into and watching a lot of the RTS stuff around emerging strategies and that idea of like just continuing to push and push until you get to a point. And in some cases that's been really, really useful, but in a lot of cases, the distinguishing the noise in the training data is hard because 
in order to be able to see some of these markers, like you were saying, you have to be able to apply the context to what's happening outside of the training session to the training session. So I do things like uh, all our training spreadsheets have like mood scores and, and pre-exercise questions that are really simple and easy to do that help just provide a quick snapshot of the context to the session. Cause then as a coach, I can come and look at your week's worth of training data and go, okay, cool. Well, those that day that you said was a really shit squat se- session and felt like crap was in amongst four other really good training days and all of your scores were lower on that day. So we have a like a context to then have that discussion about here's how we can see why it felt like shit or why maybe you're running into these sort of things. But I think a lot of that stems from just communication with the person you're coaching, right? Being able to understand what context they are living and, and what factors are influencing their ability to perform in the gym. Hmm, for sure. And then um, what do your deloads look like? What, what do you tend to do when you're running a deload week? Do you reduce volume, intensity, both, or changes depending on phases? Or Yeah, so it really depends on the phase. Uh, generally, I lean towards maintaining or very slightly reducing intensity and reducing the overall volume um, because I think in most cases – you can recover better from like one hard set than you can four or five hard sets. And so if we drop that volume down, you can maintain some of that uh, Mm. preparedness, fitness, however you want to frame it, but you can hold on to some of that so that that next week back isn't a big shock. I think that's the thing that I've done as like poorly in the past is reduced both too much. So if we're in a like fairly heavy volume phase, I'll probably reduce some of the some of the volume and a little bit of intensity. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we're in a really heavy phase, there's not going to be a ton of volume in there anyway. So we're maybe going to pull some of the intensity back, but maintain that volume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, again, it sort of depends on whether it's a deload at the end of a block or a deload at that like an intro week because if it's an intro week it's by nature going to be slightly lower intensity because in some cases it'll be you know different variations or stuff like that where it takes you a week to find your feet and figure out what an appropriate training load is and then Mm -hmm. we can ramp it back up so in that case it'll look a little bit different because maybe we're changing exercise selections or things like that Mm -hmm. and you know the i go club nigeria programming right where'd you come from where'd you go so it's like always trying to use it as a link between the two blocks and i think the the intro the intro week concept is probably an easier way for most people to figure out how to prepare a deload Uh, because like if you're doing week one of the program and purposely making it light and easy and low volume um, you get to do so at intensities and at volumes that match where you're going to go in the next week. That's how your deload at the end of yep. a previous block should look if you're doing it in that fashion. It helps you um, sort of visualize what you want to get out of a deload. And so if you think about that across the phases of training, if you've just finished a conditioning block on uh, eights and you're moving on to a, in, into a development block at sixes, you're probably going to do a deload week with sixes or sevens or eights, you know, something close enough yeah. versus who programs sets of seven, you sadistic prick six and eight. Every, everyone knows it goes two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, ten. Yeah. So 12. I used to be the number strong- seven, nine, 11 don't exist. I used to be strongly in that camp. And then I started programming <laughs> sevens because um, I used to be the same with fours, like fours aren't allowed threes and then fives. Uh, um, yeah. Right. Okay. 
The only number I refuse to ever program is nines. I'll never give someone a set of nine. Well, if you've done nine, you may as well do 10. Yeah. And if you've done eight, why keep going? Like, it's like, yeah, it's no man's land. You're not allowed to be there. Anyway, um, what I was saying is, you know, if you look at that at the other end, like you're in a transition phase and about to go into a peak. So you finished on fucking heavy doubles or triples. You're not going to do sets of six in your deload. You're going to, yeah. you know, roll with some doubles, but at a slightly lower intensity. Um, this becomes glaringly more obvious the less experienced the person is. Um, and anyone who's inexperienced who has run a deload week and then gotten into week one of the next block and felt like they were completely lost for the first week, like they didn't know what they were doing. Uh, oftentimes, it just means that the deload probably wasn't uh, constructed in a fashion that uh, allows that momentum to continue. Yeah, exactly. And that that's the the misunderstanding with deload is oh, I'm just gonna deload, come and do three sets of ten. Mm. It's like, dude, you were just doing fours. Why the like you're gonna end up so much more sore and miserable after your three light sets of ten than you would have if you just like t- dropped a few sets of four and done it properly, you know? I think uh that misconception about your deload has to look really different to the training week is one that we need to get rid of pretty quickly like like you said it's really not a wholesale change that you know that's where the term pivot comes in you know completely pivoting things but at least in my head but a deload should just look very much like either the week you just did or the week you're about to do and it should just be either slightly lower volume slightly lower intensity or both Hmm. Uh, you know other big mistakes that people make with their deloads is like Oh, I'm I'm doing um, light squat bench deadlifts. I'm gonna go fucking ham on my accessories. It's like yeah, that's that's not a deload. <laughs> yeah. If anything, we're gonna yeah. use the deload, uh, the the accessories to really buffer that fatigue. So we, we're probably gonna turn them down quite a bit more. Yeah, exactly. Man, managing that again, depending on where you are in a training cycle, is important. Like in some cases later on in a training cycle, I'll actually just use some of like get rid of some of those assistance exercises and just have you come in and do your main stuff and then leave mm. because it's a good way of like hamstringing people deliberately by not letting them go ham on any of these sort of things and just say, just do these two sets and then you're done and call mm. it a day. Yeah. 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 Um, the, the, uh, you know, other common mistakes, people taking the whole week off, they're just like, Oh, I just won't train. That's a good yeah. way to set yourself up for a really, really shitty week one of the next block. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's the same with like pre-comp as well. This idea that, and like I did it, uh, you know, I haven't done any training in a week. So we'll come in and do this comp. Now I'm like, I have people in here two to or three days out. Like I don't need you to do anything crazy two or three days out, but do something because you'll feel like shit if all you've done is sit around and do nothing especially if you're inexperienced like you lose that skill so quickly it's it's beneficial to have the movement don't go the fucking ham route and test your openers on the thursday when your comps on the saturday that's a dumb idea but there's nothing wrong with going to the gym the week of the competition no not at all uh i I think people often and this is sort of two two ends of a spectrum with the deload camp they're either like either I don't need deloads because I'm so tough and immortal that I never need to slow down or uh, my deload is like absolutely nothing. It's 
So especially in the comp aspect, and that's where it's, you know, maybe deload's the wrong word, maybe taper's a better word mm. when we're talking about coming into competitions um, because it gives it a different connotation. But I think in some cases, people are a little bit afraid of going to the gym and like actually doing some lifting in that week. You know, that six or seven days prior to the comp, like you're a little bit afraid of coming in and doing some squatting and some benching. It's probably not going to kill you. It's, it's probably going to be good for you to practice those skills and keep everything moving and sharp and all of those sort of things that come with a well-planned, well-executed, lighter session as opposed to a wholesale skipping of the gym completely. That's right. You know what I say? If you're scared, go to church. And this gym is my motherfucking church. Yeah. I don't really know what to say to that. Don't need to say anything. Just blew your mind. I'm not sure you did. It's because just don't get angry at me because you're tired and grumpy from riding your bike too far. <laughs> um, fuck, what else do people screw up on This You hear a bit of noise about like... Um, people who take low calorie weeks during their deloads, like how that's such a stupid idea because it's going to defeat the whole purpose of using that week to recover. I actually kind of disagree with that, especially when you're um, in either a like body recomposition phase or trying to lose weight. I think it's a good idea, uh, a, a good opportunity while you're doing less work to eat less food, um, especially yeah, if you're up. That's the way I would have seen it. But I, like, I'm obviously not a nutritionist, so don't give advice on this front. But at least from a logical <laughs> standpoint in my head, you're just doing less total work and so your calorie demand is inherently lower yeah i mean like ideally you wouldn't go purposely into a heavy deficit for the sake of that week yeah, no, because no. recovery is the priority but if you are actively trying to either manage weight because you've got an impending competition or something like that or you're in the middle of losing weight it's it's a great opportunity to drop that and increase you know some output in the in the sense of cardio um yeah not, nothing wrong with doing that in, in deload weeks um yeah although so- on that cardio note there some people have done a similar thing with deloads where it's like oh, i'll just come in and like hammer a few cardio sessions and they're like cardio sessions uh 45 minute high intensity circuit things yeah like, man that is like when we talk about cardio as being an active recovery tool in a deload week go for a fucking walk a walk around the block exactly yeah, like it, it doesn't need to be hard. It shouldn't be hard because anything you do that isn't like what you're doing from a training standpoint regularly is going to end up being a much more intense stimulus than you intend it to be. Mm. So if you're doing your four powerlifting sessions a week and doing no other planned cardio and then in your deload week, you're like, oh, I'll just fucking come and do this 30-minute circuit session, you're probably going to fuck up a lot of the idea behind trying to reduce fatigue in this deload week because you've just added a whole bunch of unexpected stimulus to the process. Just fucking go outside and go for a walk. It's not that complex. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think we've covered the the real nuts and bolts of deloading. I can't really think of anything else burning that I really want to say about it. Is there an argument or would you ever make an argument for not deloading at all? Like permanently not deloading? Well, like I'm just trying to play devil's advocate a little bit here. is, Is there an argument for not deloading? Yeah, I would, I would say yes. In the context that you originally raised, which is like, you know, busy person who's not a professional athlete that's training two to three times a week, very short sessions, not crazy intensity. You're probably never going to accumulate enough fatigue to 
to warrant a deload and can probably make progress indefinitely without doing it until you feel like you need to do it. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the context of someone who's invested in something like the sport of powerlifting, it's a non-negotiable in my eyes, uh, but there are definitely yeah. going to be contexts and people um, that can probably just train without it. Yeah. That's certainly my experience is um, especially like you said, with someone only doing two or three sessions a week, just like, pick up where you left off after you missed a couple of days and you know, yeah. those sort of things. When you've got only that few training sessions to space in and around a week, if you miss one, you can just redo it and keep moving forward as opposed to like it really throwing the the whole training week out. If you're doing five sessions and you miss two of them, then yeah, it's a different discussion altogether. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting to look at it like that because a, this, the, the kind of, um, discussion around like are deloads even that important there's a lot of like uh, contextual wire crossing where people are looking at scenarios like that and being like oh we could do that in powerlifting something like that where it doesn't quite make as much sense or um, people who get outliers in terms of recovery you know people with exceptional recovery that can go um, longer without requiring a deload it raises this um, this question of like do we then go longer without a deload or would, do we try and uh, increase the training stimulus in a shorter amount of time, do more work in a shorter amount of time with plant deloads? I would prefer to go with option A than option B uh, because we can, you know, then sort of uh, force creation of adaptation quicker mm. without running any real risk. You know, the issue with extending something out over a period of time is suggesting to us that the amount of work that we are doing is shooting far below the amount of work that they can tolerate. I want to push the amount of work they, they can tolerate and find where the, the limit is and aim for that in a time frame and then deload and then do it again and then do it again and do it again. Fuck this person up to, to make them strong as fuck without hurting. Yeah. Yep. I like that. I'm not sure there's much else to add to deloads. Nah, I'm happy with that. Dunskis. Excellent. Sweet. Bye. Laters.